Welcome to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157. First we hear that estrogens increase the risk of heart attack, then we hear, not so fast. What is a doctor to do? Who would benefit from estrogen in a menopause, and who should avoid it? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Michael Benson, your host. Our guest today is Dr. Richard Karras, Professor of Medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. He has several titles, including Co-Director, Molecular Cardiology Research Center, Director, Preventive Cardiology, and Director, Women's Health Center at the New England Medical Center. He received his MD from Tufts and his PhD in Physiology from Harvard. We are discussing a practical guide for clinicians on prescribing estrogen for heart health. Hi, Dick. Hi. So the first question is, and it's a broad question, how safe is estrogen replacement therapy? That is actually an absolutely central question because the understanding that was so widely and so deeply taken into the medical community following the results of the Women's Health Initiative is that hormones are scarily harmful. And I think as the dust has settled and people have had time to look at the data themselves and follow-up subgroup analyses, et cetera, that that level of concern has largely diminished. I think that the process that has driven that is the realization that the potential for harm and the potential for benefit differ in important ways depending on the individual patient who's being considered for therapy. Divide up who benefits and who's harmed. The simplest way to think about this is that the younger the individual and the closer she is to the time of menopause, the likelihood for risks are diminished and the likelihood for benefit are enhanced. And the converse of that, the older the woman and the further she has been from menopause, the more likely there is to be harm and the less likely there is to have benefit. And I can put some numbers on those if that would be helpful. I think that would be helpful. I would consider close to menopause with our current understanding to be within about six years of menopause. And I would consider far from menopause to be in the 10 to 20 years postmenopausal period. And in terms of age, I would consider women in their 50s to be in the group with lower risk and potential for benefit, and those in their 70s in the higher risk, little idea of benefit. Well, there's an obvious question that follows. What do you do with a patient who is starting on estrogen, let's say at age 50, when does her benefit for heart health on estrogen convert to harm? At age 60, or if she's on it continuously from age 50, she doesn't experience harm? How does that work? Yeah, that is an absolutely wonderful question. It's a very complicated one, but a really critical one. The bottom line is we don't know. I will say the current sort of, quote, official recommendation for therapy in the postmenopausal setting is to use the lowest dose for the shortest time feasible. So I want to be very clear about that. Personally, I don't think we have anywhere near the amount of information we need to make a recommendation like that for the following reasons. In the observational database, in which women tend to be started around the menopause for relief of menopausal symptoms, those data suggest that the longer women are treated, the greater the benefit that they get. 
And that would argue for if they're on for a good reason in the first place and they're doing well, leave them on. I think it's really a misinterpretation of the WHI data, which are about initiation of therapy at a certain point in life, not continuation, and certainly no information about discontinuation. So the fact that taking a woman who's 70, who's been hormone deficient for 20 years, and putting her on hormones may produce harm, does not say that a woman who started when she was 50 and remained on for that 20-year period would cross over into a period of harm. Then, of course, I have a follow-up question, which is related to something you said before, lowest dose for shortest period of time. But, of course, if one is strictly logical about that advice, if estrogen initiation early in the menopause provides benefit, one would certainly think that there'd be a dose-response effect, particularly if there's a causal mechanism or a causal relationship. And in fact, it's my understanding that there is a dose-response relationship in prevention at least of bone fracture and osteoporosis. So is there a dose-response effect at initiation, even if we can't really talk about continuation, early in the menopause? Is more better? So you're right about all of that, but unfortunately, the dose effects are somewhat more complex because, for example, the higher the doses of estrogen, the greater the procoagulability effects. So there are competing effects that differ in their dose response. What we do know are data from the large-scale observational nurses' health study, which in subgroup analyses looked at 0.3 milligrams 0.625 milligrams and 1.25 milligrams on cardiovascular outcomes. And actually, the benefit was as large at 0.3 as at 0.625, and it turned over to a more harmful picture at 1.25. So you begin to magnify some of the harmful hematologic effects at high doses, where you may be able to get the more subtle cardiovascular benefits with just the lower dose. So I think an important take-home message here, and this is probably pretty important, is that more isn't necessarily better when it comes to the protective effects of estrogen on cardiovascular disease. That's exactly right. And in fact, the whole trend is toward the other direction, that one of the reasons that the WHI may have shown trends toward harm in the whole population is that a starting dose of 0.625 of conjugated equine estrogens in 60 and 70 year old women who have been hormone deficient for 10 and 20 years was simply too high. It's a pretty substantial dose. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Richard Karras, professor of medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. We are discussing a practical guide for clinicians on prescribing estrogen for heart health. What about adding progestin? It's clear that in the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative study, there were two different populations, one that had estrogen only and one that had estrogen and progesterone. And because the populations were significantly different at the outset of these studies, you can't compare them. The question is, what do we know about adding progestins in terms of heart health? Is it neutral? Does it help? Does it hurt? So you're absolutely right, and I agree very much with your point about being careful not to directly compare the two studies because they're different populations. People have done that, and the outcomes in the estrogen plus progestin arms looked worse than those in the estrogen alone. 
And that's part of what's led to the question of whether adding the progestin perhaps is harmful. There are other reasons to think that adding the progestin may be harmful, and that also relates to specifically which progestin you add. As I'm sure you're well aware, progestins have different levels of androgenicity. And depending on their level of androgenicity, they have different effects on cardiovascular risk factors. So, for example, there was a very nice study called the PEPI trial that looked at the difference between micronized progesterone and medroxyprogesterone acetate on circulating cholesterol levels. And that study showed that the medroxyprogesterone acetate um, had less beneficial and slash more harmful effects on the lipid profile than do the micronized progesterone. There are also some data looking at the effect on blood vessel relaxation and on inflammatory markers that again suggest, depending on the progestin and the dose, that it may offset some of the beneficial effects of estrogen alone. For our clinicians, can we make some relatively blanket statements, for instance, Micronized progesterone is typically better for the heart than medroxyprogesterone acetate. Is that fair? Yeah, the problem is we only know those things as they relate to intermediate or surrogate endpoints. So we don't actually have any direct outcome measures on myocardial infarction. So we don't know. That's right. We don't know. And that's why there's a lot of, lot of approaches to this. Some people are saying, I'm just going to use the estrogen alone and do frequent vaginal ultrasound. Other people are saying, I'm going to use topical progestins and not medroxyprogesterone acetate. Other people are using medroxyprogesterone acetate, but not in the continuous low-dose version that was studied in the WHI. So there really, unfortunately, in this instance, isn't a good blanket recommendation for what's best. What about the effect of testosterone? As I mentioned, it seems that some of the potentially adverse effects of the progestins has to do with their extent of androgenicity. And the more androgenicity they have, and so similarly would be true for androgens, uh, that they can have adverse effects on such things as the lipid profile and vascular function. I see. So when the FDA did not approve topical testosterone patches for a relief of decreased libido, their concerns about their effect on cardiovascular outcome was probably valid. Yeah. Surrogate endpoints are surrogate endpoints. They're not clinical endpoints. And one of the puzzles in the Women's Health Initiative uh, is this. Even in the overall study, LDL cholesterol levels went down and HDL cholesterol levels went up. And one would expect that those effects on the lipid profile should translate into cardiovascular benefit. And they didn't. So I think it's very important in this field in particular that we be conservative in extrapolating to clinical endpoints uh, what we see in surrogate endpoints. As we wrap up, there's another question I'd like to try to fit in. We've pretty much decided or the evidence suggests that women benefit from low-dose estrogen replacement therapy early in the menopause, but they might experience detriment later in menopause. Other than these demographics, are there any lab tests that a clinician should do in trying to further refine this? My answer for the clinician is no. I will say there have been subgroup analyses that have shown that women, for example, that have high levels of what's called lipoprotein little a, 
which is a circulating cholesterol-like particle. In the HERS trial, for example, those women that had high levels of LP little a did well with hormone therapy. Those that started with low levels of LP little a did poorly. I don't think that observation is then ready to be directly applied to clinical practice, but rather something that should be further investigated in additional clinical studies. I want to thank Dr. Richard Karras, professor of medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston, who has been our guest. We have been discussing a practical guide for clinicians on prescribing estrogen for heart health. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at ReachMD.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.